0: Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There are those scripture verses that we like to take and put on coffee mugs and on t-shirts and are popular and people love them and today's gospel reading is not filled with such verses. Today's gospel reading in fact is filled with hard sayings from Jesus. Now how is that t-shirt going to sell? Right? Hate your family and follow Jesus. I don't think it's going to sell very well, right? These are hard sayings from Jesus. So, I think we need to unpack what he is teaching us here. We can't ignore these words. We can't just say, "Well, these are these are hard. I don't like this. This is not the Christianity I choose." Well, These are words from Jesus. So whether you like them or not, they are true and they are from the Lord. So what really, really causes our ears to perk up here is that word what? Hate. When we hear that word hate, it it actually comes across differently for us in our context, our language, than it does in Hebrew or Aramaic. Uh, Bo Garrett's, I think, has a helpful explanation of this. He, He writes, in Hebrew or Aramaic, a man uses the word hate differently than we do. It can merely mean hold less than or have less love for. I think a good way of understanding this is kind of the way little kids use this word pretty often, right? I hate that game. Well, wait, wasn't that your favorite game last week? Yeah, but I don't like it anymore. I like this other one now. Okay, but you don't actually hate that game, right? You still like it. You just don't like it as much as the other one, right? Well, yeah, you know. But that's the way kids use the word, right? And it's it's hyperbolic, but it's also communicating a preference, right? What is at the top? If it's not at the top, well, I hate it, <laughs> Well, it's obvious Jesus is not saying to us, hey, you know what I want you to do? I really want you to to hate your family. I want you to hate your your wife and your kids, and I want you to be self-loathing and hate yourself, too. He's not saying such things, but what he is saying is in comparison to our love for him, all of that should be less than. When Jesus, what Jesus is teaching here is, is really nothing other than the first commandment, right? What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. This is good and right and holy. It's good for us to put God first, but here's the thing that Jesus is telling us. If you put God first... That means you also do not put your spouse or kids or mother or father or friends or yourself first. And there's a cost associated with that. Your child might not like it if you tell your child, nope, you can't be involved in that extracurricular activity because it means you're going to miss being at church on Sunday morning. Your child might be angry with you. Your child's friends might resent you. The parents of those friends might be upset with you for not just going with the flow. But putting God first means that none of those criticisms ultimately matter. Putting God first might mean your parents get upset with you. Maybe you were raised in a non-Christian home and joining a church will upset them. Maybe you were raised with a specific church body and you've come to know and love the truth proclaimed at the, uh, at at this church, but joining would upset someone. Uh, There's all kinds of circumstances that this can apply to. But when you put God first, what happens? Everything else is underneath that. And there's a cost. It will offend people when you, Put Jesus first, and you seek to follow him. It'll upset people when you put Jesus first and actively seek to have him first in all areas of your life. See, there's there's all kinds of costs to following Jesus. Now, there are myriad blessings in following Jesus, of course, but Jesus also is telling us what? Count the cost. For which of you desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and he is not able to finish it, all who seek him begin to mock him, saying, this man began and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is nearing Jerusalem, and he knows as he gets close to Jerusalem, what's going to happen for him is suffering, beatings, mockery, and crucifixion. The cost of following Jesus is going to escalate real quick. His disciples are going to face hostility, persecution, and even martyrdom for the sake of following Jesus. Jesus wanted those listening to understand. Being his disciple would bring blessings beyond measure. But there's a cost. In the time of the Soviet Union, Christians had meat secretly, and if discovered, they faced persecution, imprisonment, exile, or death. People in Muslim lands and in Muslim cultures today face the very same kinds of hostilities. And for us as well, there may be a cost that we have to pay for following Jesus. You may be presented with the choice by your employer of acquiescing and giving tacit support to things you know to be sinful or, yeah, you lose your job. You may be faced with children or grandchildren who won't see you unless you reject what you know to be true from God's word and give support to things you know are not true from God's word. There's a cost. I like the way that uh, seminary professor Francis Rosso kind of sums this whole section up. He wrote, it would be a mistake to interpret these sayings and stories of Jesus as an effort on his part to discourage discipleship. If anything is clear from the Bible, it is that Jesus wants us to become his disciples. He yearns for us to build that tower called Christianity and fight that enemy twice our size called Satan. We're sure of this because that's what Jesus that's why Jesus lived, died, and rose again, so that we might become his disciples. But Jesus wants to make clear that to us that becoming his disciples means more than joining an organization called the church, or just as we would join a Kiwanis or Rotary Club. Christianity means more than having one's name on a membership list or one's picture in a congregational directory. It means more than getting baptized, confirmed, married, and buried under the ages of the church. It's more than subscribing to a body of doctrine. Christianity is a life to take and live 100% under the sway of God. God doesn't want half, he wants all. As Jesus says in verse 33, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This sounds difficult. No matter what the preacher says, this world isn't too bad a place to live in. And with good luck, we should be able to experience 70 or 80 years of it. Maybe we can enjoy all this and heaven too. Then along comes Jesus and pricks the bubble of our illusion discouraged we cry out lord i can't build that tower i can't fight that enemy they're too much for me i'm helpless well if that's our feeling good of course we can't build the tower and fight that enemy that's exactly the feeling our lord wants to arouse in us i'm helpless you take over from here god wants us to let him take over through jesus christ that's discipleship. That is what is meant by forsaking all that we have, giving up ourself to God. Now, this is one of those texts where we end the reading. And what, what do we say at the very end of the reading? This is the gospel of the Lord. And you say, where? <laughs> right? Because this is a law text. This is a law heavy text. This is not a gospel-saturated text. But even here, the gospel still finds a way to shine through. I see two lights of gospel in this text. The first is this. When we think about counting the cost and doing what is necessary, you can't help but think that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He counted the cost of becoming a man, of living under the law, of suffering and dying for our sake. The very context in which he's speaking these words, he's on his way to Jerusalem so that he can pay the price. Not only did he count the cost, he pays the price for your sins and mine. The other glimmer of gospel that we have here is one that we'll flesh out in coming weeks. But it comes from verse 32, where Jesus says, while the other is yet a great way off. Well, in chapter 15, we're going to hear very, very similar words in another teaching from Jesus that you might be pretty familiar with, right? The prodigal son. And in that story, Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, the Father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Friends in Christ, there is a cost in following Jesus. Of course, there is a greater blessing in following him. But Jesus doesn't want us to put the burden on our own shoulders. He took that burden for us. He counted the cost. He reconciled to us. When we were a long way off, he came to us. He drew near to us. He embraced us. He made us his own. So now we do live under him in his kingdom. (laughs) And there's a cost. There's a cost to doing so. But that cost is nothing in comparison with the riches we have in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.